0: Okay, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, My name is Bryce. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, I would love to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. If you uh, were with us at the beginning of 2019, we began 2019 uh, in the book of Revelation. And uh, over the year, we've kind of looked at most, well, a, a large per, uh, portion of the book of Revelation, and now as we are finishing out the year, these, uh, these next three weeks, we are going to be looking at the end of the story. Uh, understanding the end of the story helps us understand the reason for Jesus coming in the middle of the story. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I read, I'm going to read all of chapter 21 of Revelation uh, for us this morning let's hear God's word together the Apostle John writes these words then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portions will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made as a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as <laughs> glass. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the, books, in the Lamb's book of life. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Oh God, would you be with us? We hear these words and... They, uh, they may be confusing, they may be awe-inspiring, they, uh, they may invoke something else completely, but would you um, be present with us by the power of your spirit that we might understand your word more fully, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. Christmas is coming. Are you ready? If it was tomorrow, would you be ready? <laughs> Christmas is this time of year for most of us these weeks leading up to Christmas. There are times of, of preparation and uh, times of planning and times of getting things done and, and times of shopping and meal preparation and, and party going. I, I, I saw I heard somebody last night who said that they were invited to six Christmas parties that were all taking place last night. Um, for many of us, this, this season of preparation is, is so busy and so overwhelming that it very quickly uh, begins to uh, sort of descend into this season of stress, um, of chaos, of feeling like there, there, there should be so much more that we're, that we're thinking of and that we're, that we're enjoying and yet we're just trying to, to get everything done. For many of us maybe uh, there's the added pressure this time of the year of the final days of the year uh, and so there are financial goals uh, at work that we're trying to accomplish as we, as we close out uh, the year. I think perhaps the, the best word to describe the, the mood that sort of comes over most of us at this time of year is the word longing. Uh, th- there's this sense of longing that all of our activity is moving towards a, a day, uh, a couple weeks out. And we are filled with longing and expectation uh, for that day. So much of the life and activity in December is characterized by a, a yearning desire that calls out to be satisfied. We see that from the earliest uh, ages, don't we? My, uh, my children have been busily uh, writing and revising and re-revising their Christmas lists. Uh, I think that um, they've almost reached perfection at this point. Uh, I, was, I was perusing some of the details recently. Lots of great ideas on some of these lists. One list included some really key um, items. One of them was lots of money. Uh, yeah don't we all another one was a panda bear, um, which you know it's it 's interesting my my son 's view and my view of waking up and finding a panda bear in my living room, I think we would have very different uh, reactions to that but there 's this this sense of of longing um, few things compare to the sense of longing in a child looking forward to Christmas. But as we grow up, somehow that longing that sense of longing shifts often from. Um, the things that we're receiving to the things that we're giving or this desire to create a perfect Christmas you know the perfectly instagrammable Christmas Uh, we want to give there's this pressure to kind of give your loved ones the the perfect Christmas Uh, I heard a story about a a man who was uh, he was so convinced he just he wanted a Rolex he thought this is the year you know where I, I'm going to get a Rolex for Christmas and he let his wife know, but then he had a dream that he, uh, on Christmas morning, opened this box and, there was, and he opened the box up and there was a Rolex there. And so he told his wife and he said, you know, I think it, I think it came from the Lord because, you know, if it comes from the Lord, then you've got to go out and make it happen, right? And so Christmas morning came and under the tree with his name on it, there was a box and, and he was so excited and he thought, yes, this is it. And he, as he opened up the box, he didn't, but the weight didn't feel kind of right and and he opened the box and finally there was a book that, that was titled How to Interpret Dreams uh, There, <laughs> uh, There's this pressure to give our loved ones a uh, a perfect Christmas in this season of longing we want uh, so much we are filled with longing as we march towards December 25th and it's during this time of longing that the Christian church uh, at least many parts of the Christian church throughout the world, observes the season of Advent. These four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Advent might be something new to you. It might be something that you have uh, practiced or been familiar with for most of your life. The word Advent means coming or arrival. It, 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 it's the season of anticipation and of preparation. As we uh, prepare to celebrate the Advent or the coming of Jesus uh, that first Christmas, um, Two thousand years ago, and yet historically, the celebration of Advent has been um, not only a, a kind of a remembering. It's not so much about a remembering of trying to kind of go back and re-enter or reimagine the world of, of uh, you know that first Christmas with the donkeys and the angels and the, you know the wise men and uh, and the overcrowded inn. Uh, it, it, it's certainly about that, but it's but it's even more so. Uh, A looking forward to the second advent of Jesus. um, The second coming of Christ. The the Christian hope. And so advent, I think, the theme of longing in advent dovetails with our cultural preparation as we are so filled with this sense of anticipation and longing uh, for Christmas and for all that it might bring for us. Dovetails perfectly with this advent theme of longing for the second of Christ, the second advent. The season of longing uh, presents us with a tremendous opportunity to be disappointed, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us have not had the experience? That was a weird way to say that, wasn't it? <laughs> Haven't we all had the experience of it's Christmas afternoon and all the, you know, they go up all the presents and things kind of, there's that mid-afternoon lull and you kind of look around and you're like, I I mean, nothing really life-changing this year. I got some new sweaters, I got a cool gadget or whatever, but I was longing for so much more. It presents this opportunity to be disappointed, and yet, at the same time, this season also presents us with a tremendous opportunity to experience satisfaction in Jesus because it's during Advent that we don't just remember his first coming, but we look forward again to his second Advent, his second coming when God's promises will finally be fulfilled and everything will finally be made right. And so really what I want you to hear this morning is that the secret to a beautiful Christmas in 2019, in what, three weeks, the secret to celebrating a wonderful, meaningful Christmas this year is not perfectly executing all of your plans, all of your to-do lists, getting everything perfectly you know, uh, figured out for every person on your Christmas list. Rather, the secret to a beautiful Christmas this year is leaning into the season of Advent and letting your longing be shaped or reshaped by the Christian hope that we have a king who is coming back, who loves us, and who is coming back for us. And when he returns, our longing will finally, finally, finally be satisfied. And that's what we see in Revelation 21 and 22. And so Advent is the perfect way to prepare for Christmas. And what I want you to see this morning is what it will look like when your longing is finally satisfied. I don't want to be a killjoy, but it's not going to happen on de- December 25th, because <laughs> I know my kids are going to wake up on December 26th and think 364 more days until we have to, you know, we have to wait until Christmas. It won't be fulfilled on tw- on December 25th, but our longing will finally be fulfilled one day. It will finally be satisfied, and so. Uh, Very simply, you know, the five questions you ask if you want to understand something, Uh, who, what, when, where, and how, I'm only going to do three of them today, okay? Three questions that help you see, help us see what it will look like when our longing is finally satisfied. So first, where? Uh, Revelation 21 tells us where your longing will finally be satisfied, Where will you be when your longing is finally satisfied when you have everything you want and you don't want anything anymore? Well, if you've been watching TV in the last couple weeks, you would probably think it will happen in your driveway, right, because at some point, a Lexus with a, somebody figured out how to get a bow on it. Uh, Actually, my favorite Christmas commercial so far this year is a guy trying to figure out how to wrap a car in the driveway, Um, but that's what our culture, you know, the December to Remember event is when the, uh, the, that Lexus with a bow finally shows up. Uh, but the Bible tells a much more beautiful story. Many Christmas movies contain the idea of getting a glimpse of reality. Um, I think it's a part of A Christmas Carol. Um, it's certainly part of um, It's a Wonderful Life. Or my favorite of those three, uh, or of these three at least, is um, uh, The Family Man. It gets a glimpse of what's really going on in the world. Great Christmas movie, by the way, if you haven't seen The Family Man. Um, Well, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, it's John getting a glimpse. The Apostle John is getting a glimpse. Um, You know, people have a lot of crazy ideas about what's going on in the book of Revelation. But the word revelation means that there's something that is hidden and that is being revealed. And so what's going on in in Revelation is that uh, the Apostle John, at the end of his life, is given a vision from God. uh, And it's not really a vision about crazy stuff that will happen right before the world is destroyed or something like that. Um, but really what it is, it's, it's the curtain is being pulled back on human history. And uh, the, the purpose behind human history is revealed to John. And so at the end of this book, at the end of the book of Revelation, where John gets a glimpse, uh, he, he in these final chapters sees this moment that all of creation is longing for, even if we don't know it. And the way that it's described um, first tells us about the location the location where this will happen. He describes the location in a couple different ways in verses one and two. He says it'll take place in a new heaven and a new earth, and then he says that it'll happen in the holy city, New Jerusalem. And what he's describing isn't some like ethereal place uh, far away in the clouds where um, the followers of Jesus will live as like disembodied spirits playing harps. What he's describing is a very physical reality. Um, What he's describing is a heaven and an earth which have been completely remade and we understand this more fully when we see in verse 5 because uh, John hears the voice that says this, and he who is seated on the throne, who is (laughs) God, right, says, behold, I am making all things new. Uh, God says, behold, I am making all things new. There's a time coming when God will make all things new. And notice he doesn't say, God doesn't say, I'm making all new things. He said, what does, he, what does that mean? He, said, he says, I'm making all things new. Uh, they will be the same and yet completely different. Last, uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess a week and a half ago, I got a, maybe a glimpse of what this, I think, looks like. I don't, you know, I don't mean to overstate that. Uh, <laughs> but um, as many of you know, our family was in Big Bear for um, Thanksgiving week. And when we got there, you know, the the ground is dry, and Wednesday and Thursday of Thanksgiving week, it snowed and snowed and snowed, and I think it dumped like two and a half feet, over two feet. I mean, a ton of snow. And uh, the experience of seeing a place where the ground is dry and then waking up the next morning and it's covered in snow is uh, the most, I I think, incredible picture I can think of of what God is going to do when he makes everything new. Because... When you wake up and, uh, and the place that was brown uh, is now covered in two feet of snow, what's happening is that everything is exactly the same as it was and yet totally different. Um, everything is covered in a layer of clean white. It's beautiful. Uh, I, I love actually going out at night when it has snowed because if the moon is shining, everything glows and it's beautiful. And a layer of insulation has covered everything, and so everything is quiet. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> when the sound of the world has been muffled. And, yet it, and it also like, it changes the pace of life, where people who are neighbors that just wave at each other kind of casually and don't remember anybody's name actually come out and shovel drive- walk, driveways and, uh, and sidewalks together. Everything is the same and yet it is completely transformed. And I think that that is in some small way what Revelation 21 is picturing for us. All of human history is longing for this. Every human heart longs for, my wife always asks me, what do you want for Christmas? And, I, and I'm always tempted to say something like, what, what I want for Christmas is something I can't tell you because what I really want is for you to know me so well <laughs> that you find this thing that I didn't even know I wanted. And I open it, and it's going to feel like my life has meaning because I'm so known by this person who found something better than I could have ever thought of and gave it to me. And you're giggling, but that is what happens when Revelation 21 is not future, but present tense. When everything is remade and made new, will feel like that person who knows you better than anyone else has given you what you needed all along and didn't even know it. One day, says John, giving us a glimpse of what's real, one day heaven will come down to earth. God will once again dwell with us and everything will be made new and you will finally be satisfied. Okay, that's the where. What about the who? Secondly, who is this describing? It's interesting here, I think, because as John is describing the new Jerusalem, as we read this, he's describing a city, and it has walls, and it has measurements, and it has gates, it has foundations. And so he's describing a very physical city, and and yet it says in verses 9 and 10, it says, Then came one of the seven angels, who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying... This is what the angel said to John. Come. Is that rain? Wow. Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) This is what the angel said. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, do you see what's happening? He says, come, I will show you the bride. And he takes him up and shows him the bride. But what he sees is the city. The bride is the city and so what what revelation 21 is telling us is that the, the the city of God is not just a where but it's also a who it's not just a physical location but its actual uh, people it's it's not just a, uh, a a new city but it's also the bride of Christ what John is saying uh, is that the who uh, who will finally be satisfied is Jesus' bride? Uh, who, who is that? I mean, one of the themes throughout the book of uh, throughout the, the Bible is that um, God wants to relate to His people not simply as a king relates to his subjects, uh, not simply as a father relates to his children, but as a husband relates to his bride. Uh, the bride is the is the church, uh, the universal church, the redeemed people of God. Um, who will know God, who will be known by God. And, and part of finding satisfaction in this, uh, in this reality, kind of finally having that itch scratched that you've never been able to, uh, to reach, what that means is it, it, it's found in intimacy with God himself, in being known by God himself. I mean, isn't that part of what our longing Uh, in this world, is all about. We long to be understood in a world that misunderstands us. That even when we are known, even when we have good friends, even when we are happily married, there is still a sense in which we are misunderstood. Where our words are are, are taken, uh, you know, uh, to mean something that we did not intend. We long to be known. We long to be known. And the who of Advent is this. The who of the Advent hope says this. Advent hope shows us that our longing will be satisfied when we are known fully by God and we know him fully and completely, as intimately as a husband knows his wife. There's intimacy. There's belonging. But uh, there's something else that we need to see here in the way that the bride is described. It says that the city is coming down from heaven. And uh, as the city is coming down from heaven, the new Jerusalem is coming down to earth. The bride is described. What does she look like? Well, in verse 11, it describes her as having the glory of God. Uh, it says her radiance. It, it says she has the, the city has the glory of God and its radiance is like a most rare jewel. Like a jasper. Clear as crystal. And then if you continue to read that section I read a minute ago, it talks about precious stones. and talks about uh, uh, the, like gold that was clear like glass. And one of the things that, that, that is fascinating about this, uh, as the bride of Christ, the city, the new Jerusalem, uh, is, is described, it, it, it's described as just radiating the glory of God. Uh, the bride radiates the glory of God but uh, the bride is also described using um, precious stones. So here's what you need to see. If you have been here for 2019, hopefully this kind of like rings a bell in your head because uh, there's a point earlier in the book of Revelation, in John chapter, or Revelation chapter 4 and 5, when the Apostle John in this vision sees the throne room of God. He sees the control center of the universe. He, he gets a glimpse of, of what God I mean, it's mysterious, that God who has no body, what he actually looks like. And so in Revelation 4 and 5, uh, he describes God seated on his throne. And in Revelation 4, it says this, He who sat on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne there was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Almost exactly how how the bride is described here. And so the point is this, that that the the bride radiates the glory glory of Christ because the bride is adorned with the work of Christ. The way that Jesus is described becomes the characteristic of how the people uh, of God themselves, ourselves are described. The bride of Christ finally satisfied in glory is described as looking just like Jesus himself. And so here's the question that I want you to think about. Has it ever sort of occurred to you that it would be really great if your happiness and your contentment did not depend upon you? See, there's this moment earlier in life where we think that the reason that we're still discontent is just because we haven't quite arrived yet. And then there's another moment that is typically called a midlife crisis where... (laughs) You begin to realize that the biggest problem in your life is you, the biggest problem in my life, the biggest obstacle to my future is me. Uh, <laughs> and then things begin to fall apart, don't they? Wouldn't it be great if the biggest obstacle to my future wasn't me? In his latest book, The Second Mountain, author David Brooks describes the ways that we search for meaning and satisfaction and, uh, and contentment in life. And um, he, he talks about... Um, one of the ways that he, he describes the, uh, the search for meaning and purpose uh, and truth in, um, in the 21st century, he calls it the, it's the Instagram life. And he's not knocking like the social media platform, but what he's saying is that we have this attempt uh, to pursue life that, that are kind of all about um, kind of gathering these perfectly composed experiences. And so he, he says that the way that the, the thing that happens though in our life as we're, as we're trying to kind of gather these perfectly composed experiences uh, is that there are three lies that we tell each other as a culture. And the lies are this, you are free to do whatever you want, you must discover meaning for yourself, and no one can tell you what's right or wrong, you must discover your own values for yourself. And David Brooks describes these as like giving somebody a huge, beautifully wrapped Christmas present, and opening it to discover that the box is empty. It looks beautiful, until you actually try to live out that lifestyle and discover that when you have to make every decision from scratch for yourself, that is not a recipe for freedom. But as we're beginning to slowly wake up to as a culture, it's a recipe for anxiety. It's a recipe for loneliness. It's a recipe for meaninglessness. It isn't freedom at all, it's slavery. Because it's all up to you. And when you have unlimited possibilities there's this pressure to say, you can do anything you want, so you'd better not screw it up. (laughs) And um, well, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. We're slowly beginning to realize that we live in a culture that is plagued by loneliness and oppression and meaninglessness. And so I mean, the simplest way to put it is it's just not working. The Instagrammable life, the Instagram life is not working. Even it doesn't mean you should leave Instagram. But the good news, friends, is this. God is bringing uh, bringing his people into a gloriously satisfying future. The good news is that God is bringing his people into a gloriously satisfying future that is completely dependent on God's work and not on yours. It is not up to you to make this reality come to pass in your life. That is great news. And so you have the freedom to live your life, and you have the freedom to try, and you have the freedom to fail, because you can't ultimately mess up God's plan for you. Your future is defined by God's work for you, not by your own striving. And that's good news. Amen. So how is that possible? And that brings us to the third question that I want to ask of this passage. How? How is this possible? I have a friend, an uh, acquaintance, I guess, really, named Mike Higgins. He's a pastor. He's a pastor in uh, St. Louis, and he's also, he might have just retired, but he, he, for, I think he was a, um, in the Army, uh, Reserves, he was a chaplain in the Army Reserves for many years. And, uh, last Sunday morning, he posted this status update on Facebook. He said, this morning, I almost got robbed at gunpoint outside the dollar store. The robber didn't seem too scary, but he was armed. He begins to, he continues to describe, he walked up to me with this gun, I guess. And then he saw the license plate, the army license plate on Mike's car. And he asked Mike what he did in the army, and Mike said he was a chaplain. And the would-be robber's response was, Good Lord, Jesus is everywhere! (laughs) And then he ran away. (laughs) Good Lord, Jesus is everywhere. And the how. How will you finally be satisfied? is that you will finally be satisfied when the declaration, good Lord, Jesus is everywhere, doesn't strike terror into you, but it fills you with joy. Because that's what this is describing here. Your longing will finally be satisfied when Jesus being everywhere brings you joy and not terror. Listen to Revelation 21 verses 22 and 23. It says, I saw no city, no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The new heavens and the new earth are glorious because Jesus is everywhere. The, in the new heavens and the new earth, you will finally be satisfied because the beauty of Christ overshadows everything and shines like the sun, and everything will be beautiful, because Jesus is beautiful. Friends, we live in a time that is increasingly called secular. Um, and there's a lot of people who think of, I mean, well, how do you, what do you think the word secular means? For many of us, we think that the word secular means that our culture is increasingly driven by a progressive social agenda. But I think the simplest way to describe secularism is to say that secularism is the belief that, gr- that, that secularism is the belief that life can be great without God in it. Life can be great without God at the center. Um, maybe a long time ago, you know, uh, people needed to believe in God to have purpose in their life, but we've outgrown that now because um, fulfillment, we think, can come through accumulating the right possessions and experiences and getting on board with the right social causes. <coughs> and if we just did all of that, we would be happy without God in our lives. That is secularism. And the tragedy is that even many Christians today uh, live like that is true. That what we need is something other than Jesus to be truly content But December 26th reminds us each year that even the best Christmas isn't enough. And so Advent retrains our hearts. Advent is about longing, not for Christmas, but for Jesus. Uh, Last night I was talking to uh, somebody who was was saying that that Advent devotional that we emailed, you probably received it, hopefully. If you didn't, you can go to resoc.life and download it. But somebody was telling me how, as a family, they've begun to just read through our Advent devotional uh, every evening together, and how that simple act of pausing to remember the story of the first Christmas and to pray and to sing together as a family uh, has has changed everything, has transformed everything uh, about this season, season. Advent reminds us of a baby born to be king, that the baby born in humility came to heal the hurt of the world, that the boy who grew up in Nazareth grew up into, the, uh, uh, into a man, that that man was one day betrayed by everyone and hung on a cross, that he died and was buried in a borrowed tomb, and yet gloriously three days later, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, Everything Jesus has done, for you, he has done, he has done for you, friends. Everything Jesus has done, he has done for you. And one day he will return, and his glory will shine like the sun, and everything will be made new, and you will be beautiful because he is beautiful, and your longing will be turned to satisfaction. And that is great news. Church, this is what we long for. That is when we will be satisfied. And Advent is the time to retrain our hearts to long for that day. So briefly, as we uh, conclude, what would it actually look like to live this Advent, this Christmas, longing for the coming kingdom? Well, uh, very quickly, three things. Um, and I, I would really say that these are three suggestions. Um, First, celebrate. Uh, let me just be clear. Like This is not, I hope it doesn't feel like this. This is not like a, a ben Scrooge, Bah-Humbug uh, message. Um, we should celebrate Christmas. We should be joyful. We, uh, we can celebrate without needing to mask the darkness of our world because we have a real reason to celebrate. Jesus is alive, and he is coming back. Secondly, practice hospitality. Christmas, in the busyness of Christmas, Christmas can so often become this time where we just have to get things done and we've got it. Christmas is not the time to kind of circle the wagons and close ourselves off from our neighbors. And uh, Christmas is the best opportunity of the year to practice hospitality. Last night, uh, Dustin and Jen, Stevie, uh, held a, a Christmas party where they just invited... Well, they invited all of you, and many of you were there, but they invited people from, uh, from work and people from the other parts of their lives to come, and it was fantastic. It was great. I mean, there was food, and there was wine, but there was good uh, friends. Uh, and Dustin explained the story of Christmas uh, to everybody there. It was just it was an awesome thing to, uh, to behold. And that's, that's what practicing hospitality looks like. Um, now, maybe you're going, I don't know my neighbors. Christmas is the best time of year to go to your, Christ- your neighbors whose names you've forgotten and realize they've forgotten your names too. And you just go around and say, Hi, I know that we've been waving at each other for four years now, but I'm sorry I forgot your name. And we're hosting a Christmas gathering in a couple weeks and we'd love for you to come. It's just a great excuse. Um, and even if you can't do that, we are hosting a Christmas party for you on December 20th. It's not just for you, I mean, it's for you, please come, but please invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, this is who we are as a church. We wanna be a church, we are a church that throws great parties. And so this is not just for you, but this is a opportunity for us to help you or together to practice hospitality. So invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers uh, to our Christmas party, that's what it's for. And then the third thing is to live with hope. Live with hope this Christmas season, this Advent season. Biblical hope is not a wish. Um, Biblical hope is not saying, I really hope I get that panda for Christmas. I know it's not going to happen, but I'm hoping. (laughs) just want to make that clear for this uh, front row over here. (laughs) Uh, Biblical hope is not wishing for something. Biblical hope is living now in light of the certainty of God's future. And so living with hope means that we live this Christmas joyfully, celebrating, practicing hospitality, because we don't need it to be more than it can possibly be. Because we're not longing for something to happen on December 25th, but we're longing for something that, uh, I don't know, could happen before then. (laughs) We're not longing for something that can only leave us longing for more. And the best way for me to explain what I mean by that is this. Uh, I think I've said this before, but it's been a few years. Um, I love to ski. I, there, I, don't think, I can't think of anything I love in life as much as skiing. Um, I'm, a very, I, I'm a good skier. I'm not, I'm not bragging, it's just... It, I, it, it, I love to ski. It's beautiful, it's quiet, it's exhilarating, and it's like the only thing that I can do well without trying. Um, I love to ski. I, I, uh, for six years, we lived in a place where I got to ski, um, you know, sometimes twice a week. Uh, it was my job to go skiing with college students. It was amazing. I loved it. Um, I, uh, I, I skied maybe 30 days a year. I mean, it was awesome. Uh, I've skied, I've I never skied and left going, I'm satisfied. I have left skiing exhausted, but always wanting more. I've never skied enough to make me feel like it was enough. And um, friends, living with hope means experiencing everything that life has to offer and turning the longing that it stirs in us into longing for God's coming kingdom, not not into longing for more of that same thing. And that is what, um, the the best way I can unpack that for you is to close with this quote from C.S. Lewis. I've been reading recently his, um, well, it was really just an essay called The Weight of Glory. And uh, in that essay, he says this. He says, at present we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of a door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors that we see and that's, I feel like what I'm experiencing um, skiing, the beauty of this and yet somehow I want to get it in me and it's not enough and whatever it is that you love to do that fills you with longing you want to get it in you and yet it doesn't make you new it doesn't fill you we cannot mingle with the splendors we see yet all of the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so Someday, God willing, we will get in. This is what Advent is all about. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, we thank you for uh, this beautiful glimpse of what our future holds because you are on your throne. And, Jesus, I pray that uh, this Advent season, as we uh, plan and celebrate, that we would be people who live with Advent hope, that our longing would be transformed from things um, that will fulfill us for hours or days, and you would reshape our hearts to long for uh, that day when you will finally make all things new, and we will be clothed in your glory, and everything will be finally right. Help us to long for that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.